0: You are listening to WHUP LP Hillsborough. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D Sides Orphans and Oddities. This show is dedicated to something called contractual obligation. See, when I was a young man like you, or you, and definitely you, we all got the urge to buy a guitar or a flute or drums or a jaw harp or a violin or bongo. And we learned them however we could, sometimes by ear. Sometimes we took formal lessons, like the person you just heard playing piano. And when you do that, you are a musician. Sometimes you are a good musician. Sometimes you are not so good. Perhaps you evolve into a great musician. But someday, as it happened to me, you will find yourself playing in front of people. You will find yourself waiting for the money. You will find yourself making tapes and selling them or handing them out so that somebody books your band or your solo act it is then that you are no longer just a musician you are now in the music business and the music business is a lot different than just playing music take it from me but I really think you should take it from people like Chuck Berry the Beatles XTC Taylor Swift Elvis Presley, Billy Joel, TLC, Stevie Wonder, Jackson 5, New Edition, Little Richard. These people started with preternatural talent and drive and ambition. The Rolling Stones, Bad Finger, Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, The Mamas and the Papas. Oh. And eventually, the joy at performing and the joy at creating... And the joy at interpreting was stolen from them. And at that point, they probably all wanted to say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with the money. I'm done with the band. I'm done with the opening act. I'm done with the drugs. I'm done with my woman or my man or both. Or I'm done with um, Kim Fowley or whatever. And I want to quit. So tomorrow I'm going to quit. And you're done with music. But you're not done with music because you have something called a contractual obligation. Now what that means is that when you were young and hungry and all you wanted to do was play the rock and roll, some guy, for the purposes of our story, they come from old showbiz. And people like Barry Gordy or Morris Levy, or uh, Colonel Tom Parker. They come from a world that where rock and roll doesn't exist. But they know that this new rock and roll thing is really, they had a second sense about this. They knew that these young kids, they want to succeed so much. This little Richard wants to succeed so much that I'm going to rip him off. To the point where he cannot turn around without putting my name on the album. Etc, etc, etc. I want you to listen to this.
1: Now Adam Eight presents one of the most incredible artists of our time, John Lennon, singing 15 of the great rock and roll hits. Never before available anywhere. Yes, you get 15 great hits in one fabulous record album for just $4.98. Hear John Lennon sing, Ain't That a Shame. Slippin' and a slice. Be My Baby. Do you want to dance? dance? That's right. Only $4.98 for this new and priceless collection of John Lennon singing 15 great rock and roll hits. Hear John Lennon's version of Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue, Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue. Boney, Maroney. Boney Maroney. Boney Maroney. Angel Baby. yaya <laughs> these never-before-available John Lennon performances of such rock and roll hits as Sweet Little 16, Stand By Me, Just Because, You Can't Catch Me, Bring It On Home, Rip It Up, and The Fabulous bebop Yes, John Lennon sings 15 great rock and roll hits, all in one fantastic album for just $4.98 or $5.98 for 8-track tape. Here's how to order.
0: So, can you imagine... You're watching TV, you're watching Happy Days, or you're watching some other show, and this comes on TV, and you're thinking, oh my God, John Lennon's got a new album out. But people weren't really thinking that, to be honest with you. John Lennon showed up in this commercial in a pretty washed out 1968 picture. He had obviously been doing something, heroin or whatever. It wasn't a good picture, and it had almost nothing to do with the music that was on the disc, but... How this all started was John Lennon wrote a song for Abbey Road called Come Together. And it starts off, here come old flat top, he come grooving up slowly. And you know the song. Of course you do. But what happened was that this guy, Morris Levy, decided that this song sounds a lot like a song that I own the rights to which was You Can't Catch Me by Chuck Berry, a song he had no business owning the rights to in the beginning at all. I'm not a lawyer, but I can give you the broad strokes. Even John Lennon, even the great John Lennon had fallen upon hard times in the mid 70s. And his album Mind Games, which was meh, sold about 300,000 copies. Sometime in New York City, which was even more huh, sold about 150,000 150, copies. So he wasn't always, even when he was alive, he wasn't that big of a, a deal in the, in the market. But Morris Levy said to John Lennon, I'll tell you what, I won't sue you if you put three of my songs on your next album. <laughs> Old Chupas, right? And John Lennon said, "Uh, "Okay," but the problem was there was a misunderstanding, and John Lennon was one of the tapes from Phil Spector, who was no longer a force in music to begin, you know, in the '70s to begin with. Phil Spector went off with the tapes that he had recorded in '73. John Lennon recorded "Walls and Bridges." Morris Levy thought that this was the album that they were talking about, but it wasn't because he didn't have the tapes. Lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. So what you just heard was a commercial for John Lennon's contractual obligation album which ended up being rock and roll from 1975 which was not a a great record but that's the kind of thing that would happen all the time with contractual obligation now i'm not a as i said i'm not a lawyer but i can tell you that there's been a lot of heartbreak a lot of poverty a lot of sadness and a lot of a lot of oh so much music and so many contracts where these old show business guys would know exactly what they're talking about. But they knew that these young hungry kids like the Jackson 5 or the Rolling Stones would not know exactly what it was that they were signing their name name onto, And then eventually came back to bite them. So I am going to play you some of these albums that these bands did not really want to record. For whatever reason, either it was because they couldn't stand each other and they wanted to quit or they wanted a new record deal, but they um, still owed the old record company an album. And some of the results are famous, like the Van Morrison is uh, famous for recording um, some very crappy sides for the bang label because he had bigger artistic aspirations, things like astral weeks and other stuff. And if you're a young person, not of a certain age, you think of Van Morrison as the guy who wrote that song recently about not wearing a mask and how tyrannical the government is and all that stuff. Tommy James, he's another one. He was also a victim of uh, Morris Levy, but that's another story. Had to do with the mafia. Actually, Tommy James wrote a book um, <clears throat> on being on the wrong side of the mafia during his recording career. Tommy James was the one who was Tommy James and the Shandells. They had to change their name because of rights and things like that. And New York and deal. I'm going to play that stuff, and I, frankly, I think it's very interesting. A lot of it is is very good. A lot of it is just not very good at all. But I'm not going to start my show like that. What I'm going to do in the first um, little segment of my show is I'm going to play you some music by Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye recorded What's Going On, which was recently ranked the number one album of all time by Rolling Stone because artistic endeavors must be ranked they must be given a monetary, no, no, no. They must be given a, a, a number value. They have to. Pet Sounds, Sergeant Pepper, um, uh, Blonde on Blonde, uh, the Nirvana thing, it's all got to be ranked. It's got to be. Because where would we be without knowing which one was better than the other one? So, I'm going to play you some of Marvin Gaye's album that was a follow-up to What's Going On and was not released in his lifetime. Except for the one single, which not, did not do very well, and that's why he, didn't, he chose not to release the album, which is the story that, at, as of now. But, uh, and then he released um, I Want You, which was uh, a great album in its own right. It was perfectly fine. And then he released "Here, My Dear," which was a very, very, very uncomfortably personal album about his divorce. But you can, you you just you can't say that Marvin Gaye did not slice open his wrist and pour his veins all over the records that he made around that time. So, here are here are some songs from that album that was not released in his lifetime. Uh, the album was called. The album was going to be called "You Are the Man." I don't know what that means. Someone does. Either one of you listening to this show probably do. But anyway, here's that thing that I said I was going to do. to dance now huh. oh well that was some excellent marvin gay that i'm sure you have not heard passively i'm sure you had to search for it if you were looking for it marvin gay where are we going and you're the man parts one and two and then the world is rated x very good stuff and i'm i'm pretty sure that's james jamerson who was playing that impossible bass Guitar parts. And what you just heard was Lou Reed's contractual obligation album, Metal Machine Music. And that particular cut was just like a minute and a half of what you would hear if you bought the album, Four Sides of the Stuff, (sighs) for RCA. And, uh, famous for being, you know, people are, are like revisionist histori revisionist historians because they're saying it's proto metal and it's inventive and it's daring and it's this and it's that. Well, no, it's garbage because he wanted to get out of his recording contract. So he said, Oh, well, here's the tapes to my next album. It's a double album. You'll love it. And it was that. So. I don't, I don't, I don't like it when people do that, when they listen to something that's obviously very, very bad and they say, Oh, but maybe he had a point, you know, maybe he was deconstructing the burgeoning this, that, the other blizz, blah, zimzam. I, I just think it's, it was garbage and it was like an insult to the people who are big fans of his kind of like, um, John Lennon recording the rock and roll album. Just an insult, just showing a a pretty big disregard for his faithful audience. Well, John Lennon's at the time was diminishing, (sighs) but he did win a Grammy in 1980. Anyway, this is Gilbert Neal, decides orphans and oddities on the mighty WHUP, fm.org. Visit our website. And we could always use some help if you want to throw some ducats our way because we're a uh, part of the community in Hillsboro, and we promote local music as well as, in my case, some rare and obscure music you may not have heard from 1965 to 1980 or thereabouts. So once you play a gig... You're in the music business. There's no way around it. You are in the business. When you sell CDs, you are in the music business. You cannot say, oh, well, if someone buys it, someone buys it. No, you're in the business. And as I said before, sometimes you can create some pretty neat stuff because it frees you because you know that once you Fulfill your contractual obligation, there's nothing they can do. Now you're free to go on to the next thing, or you're free to quit, which a lot of artists did. But one of the artists that didn't was the artist I'm featuring here, which you've heard about Badfinger. They were signed to apple records do you remember no you don't because um you're not as as strangely obsessive as i am but back in 1968 the beatles decided they were going to form their own label apple records and the thing that was going to be different about apple records and i've featured Apple records on my show a few times, but one of the things that they did was they put out a flyer sort of advertisement thing that advertised that if you're, it it implied more or less that if you're tired of getting jerked around by record companies, or if you think that the, the, the music business is daunting because you have talent and, and, Nobody's listening. Well, send something to Apple Records. And we promise, as for enterprising, non business type people who were obviously in the business, we will listen to it and give you a fair shake. So we ended up with people like James Taylor and Mary Hopkins and the Fah King. Yes, the Fah King. F A H King. And Badfinger. Who probably thought that they had landed on another planet when they started off as young players. Thinking, oh my God, this is wonderful. We are <laughs> we got signed by the Beatles. They love us. And you know, Badfinger had a lot of hits. Um, no matter what, day after day. Produced by George Harrison. Baby Blue, produced by Todd Rundgren. Without You, you know that song because um, Harry Nilsson sang it and Mariah Carey sang it. I can't live. Living is without you. So if there's any band out there that was Beatlesque, it was Badfinger. But the problem was that money, the music business, had taken these young men. And ruined their lives, ruined them good, ruined them good. And in a way that caused two of the members to take their own lives, most notably, excuse me, Peter Ham, who showed a deft pen writing these great songs and everything seemed nice and hunky dory. But finally, they got tired of Apple Records not paying attention to them because the Beatles, while great songwriters and great singers and musicians, were not businessmen, did not know how to run a record company, did not care. And once the band had broken up, things they probably could not foresee for a million trillion years, having started this long, excruciating struggle And been together side by side in hotel room after hotel room after bar after bar for 10 years. Probably could not imagine the day where they just did not want to talk to each other. And so it was with Bad Finger. And they got tired of it. They wanted out. But they had a contractual (coughs) obligation. And so in 1973... They recorded an album called S, which has a very distinct cover designed by the guy who would later create the cover for Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. Some Girls by the Rolling Stones. It's just a big circle, isn't it? It's nice. So anyway, I listened to this album and it is not bad. I don't think that anything that they would have done back in that day before pete ham killed himself would have been a bad thing but their popularity was waning and they blamed apple records which they probably could have and should have because things were not looking good but here's some music from their contractual obligation album ass i hope you like it
2: <clears throat> oh i'm sorry but it's time to move away Inside my heart, I really want to stay. Believe the love we have is so sincere. You know the gift you have will always be. You're the apple of my eye, you're the apple of my heart. But now the time has come to part Oh, I'm sorry, but it's time to make a stand Though we never meant to bite the loving hand now the time has come to walk alone We were the children, now we're overgrown You're the apple of my eye You're the apple of my heart But now the time has come to part time to move away, go inside my heart, I really want to stay, believe the love we have is so sincere, you know the gift you have, Apple of my heart But now the time has come to part Now the time has come Today!
0: I'm not a big fan. Some of you might remember when Beatlemania 2, I guess you could call it, around 1976, 77, was happening. There was a movie released called The Ruttles. All You Need Is Cash. And in that movie was Eric Idle, Ricky Fatar, I forget the dude's name on drums, but the other guy was the real brains of the group, and his name was Neil Ennis. And his band was <clears throat> the Bonzo Dog Band. People of a certain age will remember Magical Mystery Tour, When the Beatles came out with that show in England in 1967, the band playing the song Death Cab for Cutie was the Bonzo Dog Band. And they broke up in 1969. They were pretty popular in England, not so much in the United States. But one day, United Artists Records, the same label that had early Electric Light Orchestra, reminded the band politely that they owed them another record. They broke up, then they had to get together again and record a new album. Can you imagine As a musician, you hate the guy. Trust me, you hate the guys you're playing with. You hate them. One of them maybe took off with your chick. One of them stole your last cigarette. One of them is just a jerk. But United Artists says that you have a contractual, actual, actual obligation, and you are going to record another album if you like it or not. And that's the album, uh, Let's Make Up and Be Friendly, from 1972. And as I said, I'm not a big fan. I like Metal Machine music a little bit more than I like the Bonzo Dog Band. But they fit in with the parameters of tonight's show. So I'll be playing, I believe, one or two more songs from that album. So you're in the music business. You want to sell your music but you also want to spread you also want to spread your name your brand awareness because you are not a band you are a brand when you were playing in your garage playing beatles covers and rush covers pink floyd covers you were a band but you're not a band anymore now you're a brand and as a brand you must do what they call merch. Elvis had one manager by the time he was famous, and that was Colonel Tom Parker. Colonel Tom came from a circus background. That means, meant, that he knew merchandising because every, every appearance Oh, he also managed like Eddie Arnold before that. And he knew merchandising was a sure way to increase your brand's name, get people to talk about it, get people interested in it. I don't have to tell you this because you're smart. But back then, music merchandising was a relatively new thing. But Colonel Tom put it in his contract that he controlled it all. He sold it all. He created it all. He even made He even made an album of Elvis just talking on stage because it was within the contract that he could not release any albums with Elvis singing in them. So he read the fine print and decided that this would be a good way to make money. Cheap. See, I told you these old showbiz hucksters, they knew what they were doing. And people like Elvis did not. So by the end of their contract, Elvis was making less than 50%. And Colonel Tom was making more than 50% just for being an old circus huckster who knew a nice mark when he saw it. Boy, oh boy. So you've read about the Beatles. They didn't have the same advantage as Elvis did as far as marketing and licensing and all that stuff was concerned they had the 1962 equivalent of Donald Trump, somebody who thought that their deals were just wonderful and smart and, and well thought out and well negotiated, but they were not. I think that there was one example where he was negotiating the Beatles' marketing and something, and he, he threw out a number. He said, we cannot, we cannot settle for less than X percent. Which he thought was a great deal, wonderful. I'm going to do my boys right by doing this, and the guy on the other side of the desk was going to was going to go much much higher. But when he heard Brian Epstein say it, he said, "Oh, okay." So Brian Epstein was not a great manager. Uh, Sign an agreement <clears throat> with a guy named Nicky Byrne to promote the band's interest in the United States. This included. Oh, by the way, this is WHUP LP Hillsborough. My name is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities, and I'm talking about contractual obligation. Now, I am no lawyer. I don't claim to be, but I can tell you that I've read a lot of books and one of the worst things, one of the biggest heists in show business history was the Beatles merchandising. When the monkeys came out, you could not swing a cat without hitting a monkey's lunchbox. This is before the show even happened. Lunchboxes, um, T-shirts, hats, buttons, all sorts of stuff. They were built for merchandising. They existed for merchandising, but the Beatles did not. So the Beatles lost about $100 million, it's estimated, in marketing because they signed bad contracts contracts based on the words of a man who was not a show business huckster like Colonel Tom or Morris Levy how do they sleep at night just horrible but there you go I mean Think about the Beatles story. I think, I think the Beatles story is one of being taken advantage of by old showbiz. Somebody asked the Beatles in 64, are they millionaires? You know, they probably owed a lot more money than they made. I don't know. All I know is that rock and roll is just one big, long scam where we... Enjoy the spoils of great music by people like Chuck Berry and Badfinger and the Rolling Stones, who worked with Alan Klein for a time. You know, Alan Klein was uh, supposedly the White Knight who saved the Beatles' profits from that evil Parlophone EMI Records. Which I guess he did, but it's it's no mistake, or excuse me, but it's no accident that Paul McCartney, who was just smarter than the other guys in the band, in all sense, knew this was not good. This was this was going to turn out bad, and he knew it. But uh, whatever the story, I, I mean, I could go on all two hours about this thing, but just the the point is that no matter who your heroes are of early rock and roll or even rock and roll in the seventies or rap or soul, they have been ripped off because music business is different than music. They're almost diametrically opposed. I was talking to Bob about who's good at music marketing as opposed to who's good at music, who who was lucky, who wasn't lucky, who got ripped off, who didn't get ripped off. (sighs) It's a sad tale, strewn with bodies, young and lithe. Everyone. I mean, Led Zeppelin had Peter Grant. So they could choose what they did. They made lots of money. They were focused on lots of money. The fact that there were three or four posters of Led Zeppelin in my room when I was growing up were probably no accident. You know, rights, licensing, all that stuff. You can get your butt kicked if you tried to sell bootleg T-shirts at a gig. It's been proven. Anyhow, on we go with more of your uh, friendly Bonzo dog band And their contractual obligation album. And I've. Oh, and I have something really awful coming after this.
2: J.A. human gonna do the strain.
3: I'm gonna grip the seat. I'm gonna pull your chain. Barbed wire, bum, baby, be like me.
2: We're gonna do the strain on the lapper tree.
3: If we're gonna get relief somehow Still come back for more. Straining, complaining. No, I'm not complaining. I just got a lot of shit in me.
2: got get it out.
3: South of Santa Fe A one-eyed, half-breed amputee Sat thinking of the way He'd settle the score with that running saw Who had left him the way he is One-armed, half-blind, and the cripple in his mind And he, that amputee, could not He swore to kill the stranger for this one bad thing he done For three long years he practiced until he could use the gun Out of stone he lived alone and in Lived on beans and eggs to tell what time it was by the grave Running down His legs Bad blood Will drive you crazy Bad blood heard men say, bad blood, it's like an egg stain on your tongue, you can lick it, but it still won't go away. around from town to town as a stranger passed this way
2: the
3: man I'm looking for has two eyes but he's a one green, dirty dog When I find him, I'm gonna shoot him up So the stranger get off here the Sephora Saloon, and just as he was easing in, a lumberjack rolled out and shot him dead. Then one eye said, hey you, head!" I've been looking for that particular son of a bitch for nearly seven years, man. You just spoiled everything. I could have been a doctor or an architect. Bad blood Will drive you crazy. <laughs> Bad blood I've heard many Bad blood On your time you can lick it but it still won't go away
0: I love you, but every now and then I have to punish you. So tonight is no exception. This is Gilbert Neal. This is D Sides Orphans and Oddities on WHUPFM. Visit our website, WHUPFM.org, or go to my podcast, D and you can visit all all my old shows very well researched for you and everything that happens in pop culture happens again so there's nothing new under the sun and I make sure that you know and understand if you listen to my show you're going to hear something that has created something else or comes from something else so there's that thing. So that was the Bonzo Dog Band with Bad Blood. Song before that, The Strain. And good golly, Miss Molly. So Little Richard brushed the entry wares of the business in 1955 with the arrival of Tutti Fruity. The tune was um, a slice of black vernacular, Introduced into popular music in a way that had never been done before. And you know Tutti Frutti, you know it. We're still talking about it all these years later. But Little Richard was given only $50 for the distributing and execution rights to the melody, implying that the main cash he gets from the track is half a penny for every collection sold. Can you imagine I know you have not written something like Tutti Frutti, even though it, like everything after it, was derivative. But don't you think Little Richard deserves more than that? I think he does. New edition. New edition propelled the professions of Bobby Brown and Belle Biv DeVoe, people of a certain age like me, remember, practicing Bobby Brown's dance moves and Belle Biv DeVoe's Smooth um, delivery for the ladies that I I would meet in West Seneca, the Seneca, the Seneca Mall. Gil Biv Deville, now you know. Be that as it may, amid their time together, they sold a great many records, scarcely made a dime, with their manager guaranteeing that costs gobbled up the rest. This is a common story. It doesn't matter, 70s, 60s, 50s, 80s, 40s, 2010s when people are in control that you just can't trust that don't have a good reputation and you let the stars get in your eyes well you're guaranteed to be doing talk shows and uh, things like that of that nature listen to this the Jackson 5 Barry Gordy's Motown uh, 1973 the band's popularity started going downhill Uh, Barry Gordy refused to give them creative control A famous story as well. Permission to update their image or a stake in the publishing rights to their catalog. The Jackson 5 were only receiving a 2.8 royalty rate, which naturally increased the tension. When their father, Joseph Jackson, get the switch, was persuaded to take the group to CBS for a much more lucrative deal, Motown sued for breach of contract. Since then, and that is why we don't call them the Jackson 5, they call them the Jacksons. That's why. Because of money. <clears throat> Morris Levy built Tommy James out of 30 to 40 million dollars. Involved him in a gang war, which left uh, Tommy James on the wrong side of a mafia hit. Almost when the Gambito family forced Morris to free flee to Spain in 1971. <sighs> Tommy James was told that in the absence of Levy, the mob would come after him. He left New York City for Tennessee, and that was the end of that. 1971 was when he came out with um, Dragon the Line. You remember that song? Every wedding band plays it, right? Oh, And uh, one more thing. Because of contractual obligations, the small print, my favorite band, XTC... They recorded videos for all of their singles in the 70s, or excuse me, in the 80s, some in the 90s, and you can't buy them because their record company said, nope, all I want to do is have them give money. All I want to do is give money to Andy Partridge, give money to Colin Moulding, give money to Dave freaking Gregory, and I can't. I want to watch those videos. I want to see them. I want to have them. I don't want to see them on YouTube. I want to own them. But for for reasons that Andy won't talk about or reasons that Andy won't make clear or whatever, or maybe I haven't checked in with him lately, you can't. You can't. What kind of world is this? The music business is a horrible thing and artists are still still being abused and taken advantage of. The artist that you like, that you love, that you listen to is, is on the road right now trying to make up for a bad record contract or in the age of social media, they make nothing. They make all their money on (laughs) t-shirts and hats and posters and all that stuff. I, I am signed to a record deal, but it's, so, it's, it's very small. And basically the guy who signed me gave me the one thing I wanted and the one thing I needed, which was a yes, said, I'd like you. I've heard hundreds of acts this year. Some of them are just garbage, but I like you. So I'm going to release your records. And that's enough for me. But there are some artists out there who are making – Tenths of tenths of tenths of cents on the dollar for every time a kid opens up that video link or listens to something on YouTube or listens to something on SoundCloud, you know? And it's all because music industry, the music business, is a horrible, horrible thing. The two things weren't meant to go together. Remember what Frank Zappa said? Let me pull it up so I can... I can directly quote it music business. Frank Zappa is somebody who um, knew about all this stuff. So you saw, you saw Valley girl, you know, but it was hard to, it was hard to, um, you, you know, no matter how many records Frank Zappa sold, he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna make the charts, and uh, he knew about it. Let's see, what does he say here? Um, well, I can't find the direct quote, but it had to do with the fact that he formed his own record company so he could do what he wanted when he wanted to do it, not have anybody tell him he could or couldn't do it, because he understood that his, his part of the market was never going to change. You know, just like the John Lennon story, you know, if you were in the mid-70s and, and you were waiting for John Lennon's next album, it was because you were a fan of John Lennon. That album was going not going to get any converts. That version of Stand By Me was not going to make any new converts. If you didn't like the original, the chances are pretty good that you weren't going to like John Lennon's version. His sales were going down and down and down. Probably because of the quality of the product. Frankly, he he his first solo album was raw and visceral, and hard to listen to, but substantial, and you could not question his sincerity. But just like you know Paul McCartney, he just became a factory for music for pop hits, afraid, and um, more market driven than we believed that. He would be at the time. Heroin's a hell of a drug, but you know you gotta you gotta keep Yoko in furs. I don't know. I don't know. You know it's it's silly. Who am I talking about? I don't know. Are you a prog fan? Do you like prog? Progressive music. Progressive music is when you the music you make is sort of aping the classical style like your music comes in movements and you name each movement but it's all under one big central piece and they were long and they were indulgent and they showed um how good of a musician you were and you had to be a good musician because you know we couldn't all be pink floyd and play um nothing but quarter notes on the keyboard and and, and a slight swing tempo on the drums for the guy who owned the van, Nick Mason. But I digress. Gentle Giant just came out with a great video of them and their fans and their living members collaborating on a video of the song... Um oh, God, what is it? It's from The Power and the Glory. You may not have... Anyway... I can't remember. It doesn't come to me right now, but gentle giant by 1978, they had changed their tune. They weren't releasing abrasive self-indulgent, if you will, records like interview anymore. They were leaning pop. They had to because their record company demanded it because nobody was buying that stuff anymore. Yes. After they came out with going for the one, which was a fantastic album tornado less so but the record company said come on come on Prague is starting to die we need some some hits i know a guy from south africa plays a mean guitar um uh, i love the wall but it changed it it wasn't really uh, i can't really say pink floyd who else who else well uh, jethro Tull. um all these bands that were Prague, who were heavy, heavy prog, Renaissance. Oh, another good example. Uh, Renaissance used to have or- orchestras on their records and stuff. And by 1978, they were all synths and 4-4 and and had lost all their classical illusions. Um, with an A. And the story is the same for Emerson Lincoln Palmer, who I, I bought works to. I didn't like it very much, but it was not. Bad. Lend your love to me tonight. So they came out with an album in 1978 as their contractual obligation album, and it was called Love Beach. Love Beach. There was Carnival Nine, pictures at an exhibition, and Love Beach, which each member had disowned at the time. I think this is another record where people like look back on it and say, Oh, why I know what they meant. They meant it. It was a contractual obligation album. They said as much over and over again. And I am going to punish you now because frankly, I'm, I'm a little irritated by the fact that I can't find the direct Frank Zappa quote, but Keith Emerson said, uh, think all of us got cold feet if we'd gone down the road and said forget what you've been listening to this is the new direction fans would have been more willing to follow along i don't think that that's right i think Prague was losing its juice if you will and i think that the actions of all the big Prague bands of the time sort of bore this out but they did record an album called love beach and they did record a song called Memoirs of an Officer and a Gentleman with four parts, and I am going to play them for you now. So, without further ado, Memoirs of an Officer and a Gentleman off of Love Beach. Lyricist Peter Sinfield, who was the lyricist for King Crimson, who also, perhaps slightly less so, Turned a more um, turned into a more commercial concern, but then turned right back again. I like King Crimson. I don't like Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, but that doesn't mean that you can't have with the thing. Here is that thing that I said I was going to do.
2: Walking through the city after recent rain Heard ancient stones all shining Murmur, where are they? How long before next hero's day And the splendid show of drum and gun? One September Eve Saw questions rise in circles On that old dark stream Where now are those who dared to dream They would leave one jewel in England's hand Gone to sleep, they lie in flowered graves for the visitors and guidebooks save. But come, the trumpet shattered on. Will the spin- The tears and the laughing Nearly losing The damn ring Yes I did I just don't understand I see her now In that white dress she wore Those eyes and that smile No one else, never more
0: So for those of you with your tape recorders, that's the end of the song. Yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, their last album until, well, they reunited in the 70s, or excuse me, in the 90s. <sighs> but that was the end of their heyday. A Memoirs of an Officer and a Gentleman. This is Gilbert Neal, D Sides, Orphans and Oddities on WHUP. And I will close my show with a not bad record. I'm pretty surprised that it's not bad, but it sounds like, uh, in the words of Michelle Phillips, four people trying to avoid a lawsuit because, like the Bonzo Doodah Bonzo Dog Band, excuse me, <clears throat> the Mamas and the Papas had broken up three years before 1971 when. Dunhill Records kindly reminded them, hey, you owe us an album. We were just going through our stuff and we noticed that you owe us an album. How would you like that? Probably could not stand each other. Again, that's the old story. But they released one more album and it's called People Like Us. And it's not bad. There's not much Cass Elliot. Did I say that? But It's okay. So I'm going to close the show with as much as I can fit in. And then next week I'll probably throw in some more just to give you a complete picture since you're obviously dedicated to the art of rare and obscure music like me. So I wish you adieu and say goodbye. This is Gilbert Neal. D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities, WHUP. Happy New Year. Let's do that.
2: i